Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. Um, it's great to be back. I am feeling good today. I've not been very well this weekend. I'm a bit under the weather and I'm feeling a lot better today. Still not 100%, but gosh, it's it's so good when you're on the other side of feeling a bit uh, fluish, coldish, feverish. Um, it was a real blip for a day or so, and then I feel much better today. So I'm, I'm very happy. I feel alive. I feel good. The, a lot of the shops and, and um, amenities in the UK have opened up finally. Um, we've been waiting for this day for several months and I finally managed to get my haircut that I've been dreaming of for months. And so I'm very excited about that. I'm sure some of you will see that in uh, upcoming videos that I no longer have a giant mop on my head. Um, yeah, life is good. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling good. I hope you are doing well. I hope life is, is um, serving you well and you're in, enjoying and, and getting all that you can out of life right now. Um, I know life can be very up and down for all of us who are going through a deconstruction process. All of us in life have ups and downs for sure. Some of our downs are longer, some of our ups are uh, shorter. You know, it's all uh, life, isn't it? But I really do hope that you're you're doing okay, you're coping well. Um, if you ever need to talk to someone, shoot me a message. I'm at Phil Drysdale on Instagram. Today, we're going to talk about a huge topic, um, a topic that's really important for most people that go through deconstruction and they spend a long time thinking about it. It's how are we going to talk to our loved ones about deconstruction? This is a massive topic. Um, most people spend months thinking about this before they even tackle the, the conversation um, because we know that these are our closest people, our closest friends, our closest family, our communities, um, and, and the ramifications could be severe, severe serious. You know, um, if, if we screw up this conversation with our friends and family and they push us away, that's going to be really hard to process, very painful, um, could have long-term ramifications. You know, I've, I've talked to people that have been thrown out of their homes, you know, young teenagers that tell their family they're deconstructing and they're, they're left homeless. You know, so there can be very serious ramifications. There can also be completely unserious ramifications to this as well. Like, you know, some people have... Um, uh, move beyond um, relying so much on their family. You know, there's different uh, dynamics for everyone. Everyone has their own unique dynamics with their friends, with their family. Um, and of course, having this conversation is going to look different for different people. You know, if you're a, a young uh, teenager living in the home of your pastor uh, parents, um, that's a very different pressure to have this conversation than someone that lives five states away from their family and talks to them kind of once a month. You know, you're probably going to feel different pressure to have that conversation at a different point. You're going to have a different type of conversation. Um, and so, of course, every person that goes into this is going to have a very different timeline for when it's okay and good for them to have this conversation. You're not going to find me tell you, um, all right, after uh, seven weeks and three days, that's when you start having a conversation. Or, oh, after you you ha you think about this theological issue and you finally conclude that you know what you, what you think about it, then you can have this uh, conversation with your, your family. That's not going to happen, okay? Um, there's no timeline that is set in stone. There, I would say there's no right time, but the right time is what's right for you. So there is a right time for everyone, and that is going to look different to everyone. Um, and so you need to be sensitive to what your circumstances are, what you're feeling, how close you are to your friends and family, where they're at. Um, all of these things are going to play into when you have this conversation. The, the topic today, we're going to talk about how to have the conversation, but I wanted to give you a preface about when to have this conversation because so many people um, feel pressured to have the conversation. Um, and, and that's 
not something you have to do. There's no requirement for you to come out as deconstructing, to tell all your friends and family where you're at. You don't need to do that. You, you might find that you have to do that. There's a compulsion within that you can't live life not being open and authentic and telling people where you're at. There's a great cost to hiding and, and not really fully being yourself and having friends and family never really know what's going on in your life. That's, that's a huge cost and you might feel that compels you to have this conversation. Um, but you don't owe anyone this conversation, okay? Um, and so pl please don't let other people shame you for not telling other people that you're deconstructing or um, make you feel in any way uh, bad that you are, are not out or not openly deconstructing. You have not come out and said, I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist, I'm a progressive Christian, whatever you uh, land today. There, there is no requirement for you to um, nail your colors to the mast and tell people who you are, where you're at. That's for you to do in your own time as you feel comfortable. Okay, um, this is a huge topic though, and and there's so much ramifications boiled into this conversation for a lot of people. Um, this will have serious implications, and this is why it's such a big conversation. It's it's why it's such a big issue in people's lives. Uh, this is probably the number one thing I get asked, uh, generally speaking, is. Um, should I have this conversation? How should I have this conversation? You know, when do I have this conversation? Where do I, you know, what is the best way to go around this? Um, and, and so we're going to touch on some tips, some key kind of takeaways, things that I've learned over the years, talking to thousands of people, helping them go through this process and process it. I've talked to people about maybe some ideas that I've got that might help them. Um, I've asked them, like, what are they thinking and help them come to their own conclusions and, and flesh out their, their ideas of how they're going to go about this conversation. But I've also debriefed with thousands of people after they've had these conversations, asked them how it's gone. And some have gone fantastically. Some have gone poorly. Like there's no, there's no, again, um, uh, black and white outcome to this. This could go, you could do all the right things and it could be the worst outcome imaginable. And you could do none of the right things and somehow it be the best outcome. And so, you know, that's another big component is however these conversations go for you, try not to put all the guilt and blame and whatever on yourself as well. This is a complex dynamic with many people involved in many different places and how they go um, is often quite predetermined in a lot of ways. It's based on who we are, who they are, that conversation is often only going to go really one way with a slight variant here or there. Um, and so try not to beat yourself up um, about that. The other thing I want to say, and I didn't mention this in the video, and I think it's really important, okay, is you have been deconstructing for some time. Might be a few months now, might be a couple of years, you know, whatever the timeline is, you've been asking questions, you've been seeking answers, you've come to different conclusions. Um, that's been a slow and steady process for you. It might feel like you fell down a, off a cliff and it's been an absolute uh, whirlwind of a, a pace, but even that has been something that you over time have seen progress and change and you've had time to come to terms with. The conversation you're going into is. Um, bringing that person from the top of the cliff to the bottom in one fell swoop. They don't have the same process and luxury that you've had in trying to come to terms with this over a period of time, whether you've been deconstructing for a couple of weeks or a couple of years, whatever that period is, it's been much quicker and much slower than one conversation, okay? And so all that to say, I would not um, get your hopes up that they are going to respond exactly as you have and they are not going to process this the same way that you have you've had a lot of time to process this and even still you've probably found this to be a very hard journey 
right? And so even as you can take it in your own time, as you uh, feel you have the headspace, as you feel you can cope, um, that's been a hard thing to do. To turn around and to tell your loved ones, hey, I'm no longer in the same place as you, and they suddenly think, oh my gosh, he's going to hell. Uh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. You know, uh, we can never talk to our daughter again, or, you know, I'll never speak to my brother again, you know, or um, my sister's going to burn in hell for eternity. That's a big thing to have dropped on your lap, and they don't have time to process. And so, um, I forgot to mention this in the video that we that we've uh, in the audio clip that we've got coming up, um, but I do think it's important to remember this. It's it's a good idea to remember that you're about to um, throw someone off a cliff when you uh, had time to climb down the cliff, um, and so they're going to have a different experience here, and they're also in a very different place, right? They're not the person that's deciding to go down the cliff, even though often deconstruction is not a choice. It's certainly something we can navigate and have some uh, element of control in how we go about our deconstruction. Um, and so there is a, an element of we have some sort of controlled response to deconstruction. They get it thrown in their face when we tell them where we're at. And that's a very hard thing for them to process. So it might be a good idea for you to, to mention that and to say, hey, look, I've had a long time to process this. I've had a lot of time to go through this journey I understand that this is a lot for you in one fell swoop. Um, I don't need you to respond immediately. I, um, you know, I understand if you need some time to process this and come back to me. Um, some conversations like that might be really helpful. Okay, you might not need to do that. You might want a response straight away, and that's okay. But what I will say is, if you want a response straight away, you're most likely to get a raw, uh, uh, extreme response that is in. Um, equal measure to the extremity of that conversation for that person. It can feel very extreme, very um, over the top and, and, and severe. And so you might find that some of the responses are going to be like that. We talked a lot about developmental theory in our last episode of Understanding Deconstruction. You've got to remember these people are very different places than you are. You have grown beyond that place of being a conventional Christian. They are still probably conventional Christians. And so this is going to be a very different um, experience for them than it is for you. Okay, that's enough of preamble, um, but I just wanted to touch some of those things because I think they're really important as we go into this conversation to be have to have in the back of your mind. You shouldn't, as you listen to this, please don't feel pressured to go and talk to your friends and family if you are not ready. Um, by all means, if you've been mulling this over for weeks and you've been really wanting to have a conversation, but you feel you haven't had some of the the, the tools or um, understands maybe uh, how the conversation might go and how you might uh, mitigate some problems and help uh, that conversation go better, then maybe this is a great thing to listen to and turn around and go straight into having a conversation with someone. By all means, do that. But please don't feel any pressure to do that. All right, before we start, just a reminder, the deconstructionnetwork.com, completely free resource that uh, helps you find other people that are deconstructing locally. Um, I highly recommend you check that out. It can help a lot with the isolation and the loneliness that uh, deconstruction um, involves. Even if you're close to your friends and family still, they probably don't understand what you're going through. And it can be so meaningful having someone that gets what you're going through. Um, and so do check out the deconstruction network.com completely free resource um, it's worth checking out to see if there's someone locally that you can connect with have a drink with get together for a meal process um, you know laugh together cry together um, all the all the good stuff and so i would highly recommend you check that out and as always if you want to support what i'm doing you can do that at patreon.com slash phil drysdale or phil drysdale.com slash partner 
Um, a, a, your gift of as little as five bucks a month makes a huge difference. I do this full time. I do everything I do from talking to people day in, day out for hours on end to putting out these resources, podcasts, videos, different things like that, to running the deconstruction network, to producing uh, research uh, in this field. Um, all of that I do for absolute free. Uh, it takes me many, many hours a week, much more than a full-time job would. Um, and because of that, I can't work a full-time job to pay the bills. And so it's only because of the support of um, people like yourselves that I can do this for free and I can keep doing this for free. Um, there's never any need. It will always be free. So please don't feel pressured to give. We've all felt pressured by church, by Christians, by the traveling speaker selling a, you know, his conference and his books and his CDs or whatever. Um, and so please, no pressure at all. There's no need at all to give. But if you are able and you would like to and you appreciate what I'm doing, you believe in what I'm doing and want to support this uh, this mission of helping people deconstruct, um, that would mean a great deal to me as a thank you. You get access to a private discussion community. We have regular voice chats and Zoom calls. Um, there's a book club. There's a bunch of different stuff. Um, it's a beautiful, intimate community over there, and it would be great to have you involved in that. Um, and so once again, that's just patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. And it'd be great to see you in there. All right, that's enough of a ramble. For me, this would be a long pre-ramble, but we had to explain some different stuff about talking to loved ones before we got into the video. So hopefully you forgive me. Let's dive into the, the content here where we talk about how to talk to our loved ones about our deconstruction. I'll see you on the other side. Okay, so today I wanna to talk about something that's probably one of the most asked questions I get. And that is, how do I begin talking to loved ones, friends, family, about the process of deconstruction that I'm on? You know, most of us in the Christian world end up in quite a bubble. Um, a lot of conventional Christians um, try and keep you from getting too involved in the world, right? You want to, you know, really surround yourself by these um, helpful, good, kind, loving people like us. Christians. Um, and so, you know, maybe we have a few friends at work or maybe we come across a few people at school and stuff like that. But generally speaking, our closest, our nearest and dearest, our, our family, our friends are going to more often than not be in some form of bubble with us. And that is deeply problematic for when we change our belief, right? We suddenly find ourselves in these bubbles surrounded by people that assume that we think the same they do. Not only that, on some level, they need us to think the same that we do. And as we go on this journey of um, deconstructing, of changing our beliefs, no matter how much you've changed your belief, you know, that will come into play on some level, but even some fairly small changes in the grand scheme of things, right? You're maybe not an atheist or um, uh, you've not joined the church of Satan or, um, you know, become a humanist or secularist or something that's like quite extreme in comparison to Christianity, maybe more Christian at times. Um, You've, you've not kind of done that. Maybe you just become maybe more progressive in your Christian beliefs. Maybe you've joined a progressive church. Maybe you now are affirming of LGBTQ and you don't believe in eternal conscious torment as, as a model of hell. Just those small, I say that very lightly because it's a big change to most Christians, and those small changes are huge. Um, and so no matter where you fall on this deconstruction um, spectrum, you're likely going to have the big question in the back of your mind, how the hell am I going to talk to my loved ones? How am I going to tell my mom and my dad, my sister, my cousin? How am I going to tell my friends at church? How am I going to tell my, my buddies that I hang out with all the time? How am I going to tell um, you know, my pastor if they, if they ask what's going on? How do I even begin to have these conversations? Because we know on the surface that 
it's very likely to blow up, right? You know, we, we've been in these conversations ourselves, maybe as we have been Christians and we've seen people that we know and love turn their backs on Jesus, as we might have said, or backslide or, or reject God or all these kind of phrases that were our go-to language for this kind of journey. Um, we ourselves had to distance ourselves. We, we had to keep a distance from such people because they were maybe dangerous or because we didn't trust their, their, their judgments anymore, or maybe just simply because we didn't really have the same things in common anymore. There's a whole host of things going on under the surface, and we'll go into that a bit. Um, but there's a lot happening here just as we start thinking, how am I going to tell some loved ones about this process? As they ask us, what's going on? We've not seen you go into church as much. We've not seen you around at church. We've not seen you at youth group. We've not seen you X, Y, or Z, or we notice that, you know, you seem a bit less uh, vocal about your faith. Uh, we've not noticed you share any uh, GodTube videos. Is GodTube still a thing? We've not seen you share any of those on, uh, on, on Facebook anymore. Is Facebook still a thing? Um, you know, these questions happening um, make us nervous because we know that they're pushing something to a head, right? We're, we're, we're getting closer and closer to having to have some of these conversations, and we know that there are going to be some very problematic conversations, right? It's going to be very hard to have these conversations. So first of all, before we start, I want to just recap on the last video we did. So we've done a bunch of videos in this series. If this is the first time you're seeing one of these, you might want to go back. We've done what is deconstruction. We've done why do people deconstruct and some of the myths around that, um, looking at the facts and the data and the figures. Um, we've done why reconstruction is um, a topic and why it might be quite problematic um, if, you, if you look at it a bit more than at the surface level. Um, and in the last video, we talked about development, developmental theory, which is a branch of psychology, which looks at how people develop over time. Um, and there's hundreds of different developmental models. There's ego development, moral development, needs development. And you'll come across some of these and other ones will be completely foreign to you. But in a grand scheme, when you look at these ego developments on the whole, they all map to the same kind of trajectory. People grow in their inclusivity, their love, their openness, their vulnerability. Their, uh, they become less black and white, a little bit more open in how they hold things and a bit uncertain, maybe, uh, in a good way, not in an in a existential dread way, but just in a thing of like, well, we, we maybe don't always know the answer and that's okay. These things happen across the board in almost every developmental theory model, um, you're going to see these things. And so we talked about some of the main overarching areas within developmental theory. Um, and one of them was conventional stage. And so I, I encourage you, listen back to the prior video. It'll be really helpful for having these kind of conversations. I'm just going to touch on it briefly and use some of the things we talked about to explain certain things in this video. But one of the things we talked about was that most conventional Christians are at a stage of development psychologically called conventional. And conventional is a stage of development where you look to authority figures to tell you what to believe. Um, you think you're very rational. Every stage thinks it's rational. Every stage thinks it's logical. And it is rational and logical based on its own parameters of what is rational and logical. Um, and so this stage thinks it's rational, but it thinks it's rational because it uses certain bedrock arguments to frame everything. So it might think it's rational um, but it requires a Bible to read and interpret, and that is the way you rationally figure out what's right and wrong in this world. Or it maybe thinks it's rational, but you need to lean on an authority figure, maybe a pastor or a leader or a mentor, uh, maybe the Pope, maybe the Queen, maybe the maybe God of the universe, whatever it is, right? It, it, it filters everything through these um, authority figures, whether it's through a book or a person or a, or a divine being. Um, and so people at this stage are looking to authority to tell them what to do. 
Not only that, they accept authority, generally speaking, without much questioning. There might be some questioning here or there, but it's not generally speaking possible for people to question too much. This stage also values fitting in hugely. And the stage conventional really values being part of the convention, part of the, the, the conventional day-to-day -day group of people. Being in the in-crowd is extremely important to this group. And if we think back to being Christian, that's very true, right? It's really important that we're in, that we're saved, that we're Christian, that we're not out, unsaved, non-Christian. These are very clear lines drawn with these languages of in and out and right and wrong. Um, conventional, above all, is looking to fulfill three core values. It's looking for its safety, certainty, and security. And so when we are in that place of conventional Christianity, we want to feel safe, certain, and secure. I say this because people that deconstruct start to move out of that way of thinking, out of that psychological state, and they move into a new state. And we talked about this as well in great depth. Um, they move into a state called um, rational, called modern, um, called individualistic. Um, there's quite a few different names for this. Um, but generally speaking, the change and the shift is a move away from looking to authority figures and accepting what they say as black and white truth to looking within to oneself and going, I can figure this out. I can explore this. I can read. I can study. I will still choose authority figures, but I'm going to choose it based on what I reason to be the most reasonable choice. So the example I gave in the last video is if you're looking for medical advice, you know, you find a, a lump in your head, um, you're maybe going to go speak to um, a doctor um, rather than your pastor. Um, someone in conventional stage might um, actually look to deal with certain things through their pastor. Maybe they have a mental health issue. They're going to go to their pastor for help rather than a mental health professional. Um, if they're sick, they might go to their pastor first for prayer and, and support and whatever that might be before they go, maybe I should go see a doctor about that lump or about whatever it is, this broken leg. Um, and of course, it becomes, the, the more pressure on this, the more people tend to shift away from their uh, absolute authoritarianism, right? You can break the leg of uh, some of the most conventional Christians and they'll quickly call an ambulance to go to the hospital. Um, they tend not to call the, doc the, the, the pastor for a, a prayer. Um, but these are just general broad strokes, you know? But generally speaking, as you shift out of conventional Christianity, you're gonna to look to authority figures much less and you're gonna look within and go, I can figure out who's a helpful input in my life. Oh, I'll listen to that person because they have education in this area and they're, they're and it's, so it's, it values this rational way of doing things, this logical way of doing things, but it's rational and logic is derived from an individual pursuit of truth, not from a given truth from an authority on high. And so conventional Christians typically will look to God, the Bible, Jesus, the pastor, as the giver of truth. And that's then where they reason. That's how they then use logic and ration based on these things. You'll see this when you do apologetics, right? And you'll see someone at conventional stage and someone at a post-conventional stage, this rational, uh, modern stage, whatever you might call it. Um, they have these arguments, but their basic for logic is completely different, right? One's using the Bible and the other one's using maybe like science and geography and, um, uh, you know, geology. Uh, all sorts of different things are coming into play where they're looking at the age of the earth and dinosaur bones and things like that. And the other person's going, but I can't look at that stuff first. I have to look at the Bible first and then look at that stuff. And so they just have a totally different way of rationalizing things. So both are logical, both are rational. Don't let the label of the second one, rational, fool you. Both are rational, but they use a very different grounding. Now, why have I said all this? It's so important because 
this is what's going to happen as you start talking to loved ones. You need to recognize they are at a different stage of psychological development. It's not a bad stage. You're not at the right stage and they're at the wrong stage or you're not at the good stage and they're at the bad stage. Vice versa, they're not at a good stage and you're at a bad stage. Everyone is at the stage they need to be as they grow and develop on their journey. Like we talked in the last video, you wouldn't say a toddler is at a bad stage because they don't understand high school maths. No, they're at the stage they need to be and they'll maybe start learning their, uh, to count to five because that's part of getting to become a high school student, right? It's just part of the growth, part of the development and there's no wrong in that. It's just right for where they are. If you were in high school and you were learning to count to five, there might have been some hiccups along the way, right? Some problems might be there and we could maybe look at that and go, oh, that's odd. Um, but generally speaking, people being at a conventional stage is not wrong. It's where they need to be to grow and develop and learn. We needed to go through that stage to get to where we are today. And we wouldn't be where we are today without going through that stage. And so it's, it's not, this isn't, um, sharing this model of developmental theory is not for you to look at people and look down on them to, to say, oh, they're wrong, I'm right, anything like that. It's just to help you understand how they think and how you think. And so going into these conversations, you need to remember the number one thing my loved one is, is, is driven by in day-to-day -day life, and I used to be like this as well, is safety, certainty, and security. And they're looking for it from an authority figure. And so when I go and sit down with my, uh, my mother and tell her, hey, I'm deconstructing. I am starting to let go of some of my beliefs. I am not so sure I believe X, Y, or Z. What is that doing to your mother and how safe she feels? What is it doing to her sense of certainty? What is it doing to her sense of security? It's, it's whittling away at those hard, right? It's poking them hard and it's uncomfortable, it's scary, right? So I no longer feel safe, I now feel unsafe. I no longer feel certain. You're causing me to feel a little uncertain about these things. When you tell me that you're questioning um, the existence of hell and heaven, I am not feeling certain about, like, I, I, I'm, I'm scared. Or I'm feeling certain and I feel I need to defend this and, 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 and attack your, your attack on me, which is how it's perceived. And I'm certainly not feeling secure. You're making me feel very insecure right now. I like everyone to be on the same page and for us all to agree that this book over here that's 2,000 years old, 3,500 years old, we look at that and we agree, yeah, that says this and we totally are on the same page on this, right? Um, I don't wanna look at the fact that there's 40,000 denominations just within Protestantism all believing slightly different things. I don't wanna look at the fact that there's Orthodoxes and Catholics and Coptics and Christians that believe different things. No, I don't wanna look at, I wanna think we all believe the same thing. I'm looking to my authority figure, head of his denomination, pastor, whoever it is, they tell me this is what the truth is, I believe that. You are throwing a spanner in my works and it's making me feel unsafe, uncertain and insecure, okay? So I say that because you, and we notice, this is why we're nervous about talking to loved ones. Because what do you act like when you feel unsafe? What do you act like when you start to feel uncertain? What do you act like when you feel insecure? A lot of stuff comes up, right? The ego starts to backlash, right? You start to push back, you start to get aggressive, you start to attack, you start to argue, you know, all sorts, you get emotional. These are all very natural responses to feeling scared, right? To feeling unsure and, and uncertain and, and unsafe. Um, and so we know this is gonna happen when we tell our mom or when we talk to a pastor or we tell our best friend that we are no longer believing the things that they are believing. It's, it's really hard. Um, there's, there's a lot of components to this that's it's really tough and it's, it's really unfair as well because here's the deal. You are the only person in that relationship that is going to be able 
to take the high road. And this feels really unfair as well because we, as we grow and develop, we look back on this journey and we realize how much this, uh, how much harm has been caused, how much trauma has been involved, um, how much uh, problematic teaching and all sorts of stuff has been involved in these uh, in this season of, of conventional Christianity and in these relationships as well. And it might feel, you know, it's asking a lot for me, the person that was like deeply hurt and har harmed by this and is trying to figure it out and grow to take the high road here. And frankly, you don't have to take the high road. You don't have to think of the other person's feelings and, 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 and tiptoe around them. You don't have to at all. Um, but I can guarantee if you don't, the relationships will, generally speaking, completely collapse. Nine times out of 10, they will fall apart immediately if you just steamroll in there. And so I know, what, the reason I'm saying this is because I know 99% of the people I talk to do not want to destroy the relationships they have. Maybe with certain fringe acquaintances and stuff, you don't really care. I mean, you're not gonna still connect with those people um, going forward. But with, you know, my sister, with uh, my best friends, I'd really like to try and maintain some of these relationships or at least kind of uh, damage control some of it. And so really it's unfair, but the, the onus is on you to take the high road here, to understand, gosh, this person is gonna be going through a lot of fear when I tell them this. They're not gonna be able to understand even why they're so scared, why they're uncertain, why they're insecure. They're not gonna even understand why they're pushing back so hard on what I say. Because their way of framing the world is through this Bible, through a pastor, through uh, this absolute authority that gives them safety, certainty, and security. Um, it's on you to start to go, okay, so how do I communicate with them knowing that. They're not going to go, oh gosh, yeah, Phil, he's now approaching the world through a more rational, uh, individualistic, modern perspective that shifts the way he sees things. He's not gonna hold the Bible as an authority and I should really recognize that and respect that as I talk with him. He's probably gonna be a bit triggered by the word Jesus and, and God maybe, and so I'll try and avoid those words when I have that. That is not gonna happen, right? Can you imagine your, your grandma having that thought process? No, it's not gonna happen. They are not in a place to think like that. In the same way that if you are the high school student talking to a young kid, five-year-old about maths, you are not gonna understand, expect them to understand algebra and talk with you about maths on that level. You're gonna have to go, okay, they're at a prior stage. They're at a different way of seeing things. I'm gonna have to try and remember what it was like to be like them and, and meet them where they're at and, and engage with them where they're at. And actually that's number the, probably the main way that they grow up. Not that we're trying to change anyone because that's actually impossible, but it's recognizing certainly coming in with a sledgehammer is not gonna help them grow up. Okay, so it's unfair, it really is. And you don't have to tiptoe around your family members. You don't have to um, baby them. You don't have to do these things. But if you want to have a relationship with them moving forward, you're probably going to have to on some level. You're gonna to have to come to a place to um, be able to do that. And so for some people, they wait to tell family members and friends to get to the point internally where they can kind of start to have and extend a bit more grace and compassion to their family members going, gosh, they're in a system that I once was trapped as well. This system that I hate is actually the system that is oppressing them it what didn't just oppress me, it is currently oppressing them and they can't see it and I can't pull them out of it. I'm not gonna be able to just rationally, intellectually pull them out of this. That's something they're gonna to have to grow out of if they can in their time. I might be able to be a part of that as I talk with them, as I engage with them, as I love them, but I'm not gonna be able to drag them out overnight. And so I have to extend some compassion and grace and figure out what is gonna be a helpful and healthy way of communicating with them where they're at right now. One of the main ways I have found to be really helpful is being really careful with terms 
and trying to inject safety signals, certainty signals, security signals for them. And so terms are a really big one, right? So as you start to deconstruct, some people I mentioned earlier might, might hate like using words like um, Christian, uh, God, these, these words might be really triggering. Even if you have a concept of the divine, you might want to just put God to the side and maybe use the words divine, grand of being, the universe, whatever it might be. Different people are in different places with that. Some people are happy using the word God. But I use it as an example of if you're not comfortable using the word God and you're trying to tell your grandma about your deconstruction journey, use the word God. If you're not comfortable um, talking about um, uh, your journey on a Christian plane, um, and you've, you've moved away from that, but you're talking to your, your parents about it and they're extremely conventionally Christian, maybe using some Christian language is gonna be really helpful for them. It's gonna help them feel safer. It's gonna help them feel more certain. It's gonna give them language that helps them feel more secure. It's gonna tie them back to that authority that they know, the Bible, their pastor, the, the, the Pope, the God, whatever it is, right? You know, you're, you're trying to do things in any way, shape or form to limit how much you feel, make them feel less unsafe, uh, more unsafe, more uncertain, more insecure. So just by using the right language for them, okay, we know like, that's not what I mean, but it's fine. I'll use your language because it helps you feel a little less uncertain. It helps you feel a little less unsafe. Okay, so if you can inject some safety, if you can inject some certainty, things like other things that you can do, a great one is ask them to pray for you, right? Now, so hear me out, right? You're gonna set a boundary and say, hey, after you maybe have a conversation with them, you're gonna say, hey, here's the deal. I would love, not right now, I don't want you to pray for me right now and I don't want you to be praying with me or around me right now or whatever boundary you need to set. But what I'd love for you to do is to keep me in your prayers. And as you know, you think of me during the day, I'd really appreciate you to pray for me to you know, find the truth to figure out what, where my spirituality is. Pray for me that God would show me what's true. Pray for me that I would know Jesus. You know, whatever, whether you care about that stuff or not, whether you think that's important, whether you think that's gonna happen or not, put that to the side. Like at the end of the day, if they're praying to a supernatural being and it's gonna divinely show itself to you, that'd be a bonus anyway, right? But whether you believe it's gonna happen or not, what that does is it puts control back in their hands. They can't control you in a conversation and they can't control you on your journey of spirituality. But on some level, being so certainty, safety and security driven and looking to authority figures to tell us this black and white way of life, they need to feel in control a little bit. You telling them that you're moving away from that, it creates huge uncertainty and they feel radically out of control and scared. What you're doing is you're going, hey, here's a way to feel in control again. Talk to the creator of the universe ask him to impact me, uh, ask, ask, and use him, right? Don't say it or her, gosh, you know? So again, trigger points. Ask God to, to be working in my life. Ask God to reveal himself. What it does is they suddenly go, I feel a bit better. I feel a bit more in control. That makes me feel a bit more safe. It makes me feel a little less worried about this situation. It was, it's an ice cream cone, right? It costs almost nothing. You give it to them, they feel a bit better it costs you nothing really. And maybe it's a bit triggering to talk about it. Maybe you're not a bit ha massively happy, but you've set boundaries. You're saying, hey, I don't want you to be praying for me like over when you say grace at lunch. I don't want you to be like, oh God, and please lead Phil back into the, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm setting boundaries. No, we're not doing this, but I do want you to be praying for me. And that can be huge. That can be such a big deal for them. And so giving them little signals like that 
to say, hey, here's some safety. Because what you're doing in telling them your story is you're making them feel less safe, less certain, less secure. You're, you're basically saying, I doubt what you hold to be absolutely true. That is a scary concept. And here's the deal. They are terrified by that prospect. They need a black and white world. Introducing gray ruins everything. It ruins absolutely everything. Where does heaven and hell fit if everything becomes gray? I want a nice black and white divide so I know I'm on the right side so that I go to heaven. I don't want any gray. What does gray mean? Do I go to heaven now? Am I still in heaven or am I gonna go to hell? What's going on here? Um, And we, we don't like anything to become too gray at that stage, that conventional stage. And what you're doing is you're making things gray. So what you're, what you need to be thinking in the back of your head is going, how can I help them feel a bit more safe, certain and secure? How can I give them a bit more certainty, black and whiteness, a bit more to feed that fundamentalism? It, it feels counterintuitive to feed someone's fundamentalism. But if you think about your deconstruction, you'll probably find it's only because you were feeding your fundamentalism. You were seeking that truth and that absolute truth with such fever and, and passion that it caused you to deconstruct. The vast amount of people that deconstruct is because they're seeking truth. They're looking for that absolute truth. They're trying to figure out this black and white way of doing life and they're bouncing between ideas, trying to figure out which one is the right idea. And eventually they realize, gosh, this isn't maybe the way to do it. So actually by feeding fundamentalism, you might even be helping them grow as well. Um, I would encourage you to not debate theology. A big thing, so this is something to watch for you. So a shadow side of, and maybe um, an unhealthy side of the the post-conventional, modern, individual, rational stage is you think, well, if I just rationally tell you what makes sense, you'll, you'll go, oh yeah, obviously, great point. And you'll believe what I say. Because I just rationally read the Bible and then I believed something different. So if I can just look at this Bible verse with you and explain it, or if I can just tell you that the church had multiple views on penals, uh, on, um, on the atonement or on hell, well, then you'll change. That's a really dangerous game to play because as I said at the beginning, both groups are rational. They're just playing from a completely different playbook on what rationality is. And so if you get drawn into theological debate, you're gonna lose 100% of the time. You might make the best argument, you might win in your head, but you are gonna lose because they are not going to accept anything you have to say if you're not using the same authority um, uh, figures and, and objects that the Bible, like my pastor or whatever. If you don't interpret that Bible the same way as my pastor, it doesn't matter how you use the Bible to explain your point, it's wrong. Um, you know, If you come to a conclusion based on something outside the Bible, maybe science or something, it's wrong, the Bible says. So you're not gonna go very well having an, a theological debate. What's interesting as well is you'll probably have certain family members that will want to do this with you. So again, just because they're not at this um, quote unquote rational stage, they're gonna be very rational and think very rationally and go, hey, well, let's talk about this. I can explain to you the things you just didn't understand about Christianity and maybe you'll come back. Or I can explain to you why the earth is 6,000 years old and we can rationally look at this from the Bible and then you'll 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 come back and you'll, you'll be accept, oh, you were wrong. Um, that's not gonna happen, right? You look at that and go, well, obviously that's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna reread Genesis 1 and go, oh my gosh, you're right, it's six days old. It was created in six days. Like, that's not going to happen for you. And in the same way, it's not gonna happen for them, okay? So theological debate is probably on some level gonna be something that you want to do on both sides. You're gonna to want to have an intellectual argument about why you believe what you believe now. Um, and they're gonna want, want to have an intellectual argument about why you shouldn't believe what you believe right now and why what they believe is right. Don't do it. Do not go there. Do not enter into it. It always increases the uncertainty, unsafety, 
and insecurity in the other person, it's only gonna trigger the hell out of you. You're gonna end up feeling like utter shit after this conversation having this because it's gonna be so draining and tiring making these points that people can't comprehend, can't understand, can't see from where you're coming from. You're gonna, you're gonna really damage the relationship. The relationship is gonna be hurt having these kind of screaming matches. Um, that's not to say if you have had these conversations, you can't heal that. Of course you can. All relationships have the possibility of, of restoration and, and work potentially there if both parties are willing to grow and, and work on it. But generally speaking, avoid this like the plague, okay? What I would do, something I found very helpful in, in helping people go through this process with family members and pastors and friends or whatever, is when people say, well, what about, and they'll bring up, uh, what about hell? How can you be so certain that you're right and you're not gonna go to hell? The way to approach that answer is not to then go on a theological debate and explain to them how hell works or how you see hell now or that you don't see there being a God so you don't care about hell. That stuff is not gonna work. What you do is you say, hey, that is a great question, okay? So you're feeding them. They're making them feel a bit safer, a bit more certain, a bit more safe, secure. Um, so you say, that's a great question. I had those questions too. And yeah, that was a big issue for me. I really worried about that. I can tell you some of the books I read and I can give you a couple of links to some podcasts or YouTube videos that were really helpful for me because for me, it took a lot of study and a lot of thought and, and consideration and prayer and, and reading my Bible to come to a place where I am now. I don't wanna do a debate right now while I'm trying to just tell you my journey and help you understand where I'm at. This is about you understanding what, what's going on in me. It's not about us having an intellectual argument right now. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll send you some links and you can buy the book or check out that YouTube link if you want. You know what's gonna happen? 99.99999% of the time, they will never buy that book or look at that YouTube link or read that article or listen to that podcast because they didn't want to know what your point was. They wanted to tell you their point and prove to you you're wrong and get you to come back. So it just highlights how much that's not going to work. But when people push and they go, no, no, I wanna talk about this. You go, no, I would happily talk with you about this in the future once you've looked at some of those resources, but I don't want to do that work right now. I'm going through my own stuff. I just want to talk about where I'm at and our relationship and what our relationship is going to look like moving forward. That's what's important to me. I'm not here to debate intellectually. I've done the intellectual work over the last X amount of months, years, whatever it might be, decades for some people before they talk to their family. Um, I've done that work. I'm not interested in what you have to say. In fact, to be honest with you, I know what you have to say. I used to believe what you used to say, right? You're not gonna argue me into this. So let's not go there just now. Like I said, I'll give you these resources, but for now, let's put that to the side and let's keep talking about my journey, where that leaves you and I and how we wanna move forward with that. Okay, so do not debate those theologies. Um, generally speaking, you might wanna take things quite slow as you come out, okay? So um, there's the rip the bandaid, uh, method off and you sit down in front of family and go, hey everyone, I don't believe in God anymore, I'm an atheist and you know, whatever. And, and obviously lots of people deconstruct don't end up atheists. I'm giving an extreme example that would be very shocking to a Christian family. Um, out of nowhere, just hitting them with that tends to not go well, okay? Can do, but it tends not to. One of the things I've found that helps, um, and it might feel a bit disingenuous, but honestly, it's one of the best ways to love someone, is to slowly introduce bit by bit, piecemeal by piecemeal information to them. And so it might be that you sit down and go, hey guys, I'm just gonna take some time off church right now. I'm going through a lot. I found church to be really um, uh, just 
triggering a lot of stuff in me. It's, it's really challenging to me right now. I still am hanging out with my Christian friends. I'm still, um, you know, reading the Bible. I'm still studying. I'm still praying. Um, almost pre present to them um, your timeline, but maybe delayed. So maybe you look back and go, gosh, when did I first start questioning? When did I first start coming out? What did that look like for me? Maybe I'm going to tell them that's where I, I'm at. And, and this feels really disingenuous, like I said, but honestly, it might be really helpful to just give them a piecemeal over a few months. Um, and this depends again on where you're at with your family. Do you live with your family? Are you miles and miles away from your family? Do you see them once a year? Do you see them more often? How often do you even talk to your parents? You know, whatever it might look like with friends, the same sort of deal, like what is this going to look like? But oftentimes you'll find it's easier and better for everyone if you tiptoe through this. So the example I give you, don't necessarily do that. You can figure out what it looks like and what might be a helpful kind of pattern of slowly kind of taking the, the layers off. But simple things like, hey, I'm going to take some time off church. Christians are much less scared. They still don't like that at all, but they're much less scared of someone taking some time off church than someone saying, God is a fraud and I hate it all. That's, that's probably more palatable. They can come to terms with, oh yeah, Phil doesn't do church anymore. He's a bit weird, but you know, I, I trust that he's got some sort of spiritual faith and, and relationship with God and he's doing his thing and I kind of trust him, so it'll be okay. You know, that's something I could talk myself into. And then when I come back and go, hey, yeah, no, I've been thinking of a few things slightly differently and, um, you know, I, I actually do affirm the LGBTQ community, maybe a really big one again with conventional Christians, but, you know, just bit by bit letting things um sift in, you know, slowly sink in through the family. Sinking is what I was looking for, not sift, but um, sinking in and so that they can take things on bit by bit and come to terms with some of this stuff because it's, it's a lot to come to terms with. I mean, talking about this, you know, like what you're effectively saying to your loved one, to your friend, to your family member, whatever it is, to your pastor is, hey, I'm going to spend eternity in hell when I die, you will never see me again and I will burn forever and ever and ever while you hang out in heaven playing the harp on your clouds, counting your treasures that you stored up. You know, that's effectively what you're saying. You're, you're hitting them with some really hard truth. Um, now, of course, you don't believe in that maybe and you don't have that kind of way of seeing things, but that is how they see things. You you are genuinely worried and scared and, and upset. And, and, and maybe you can think back to when you were quite a passionate conventional Christian. And maybe you can think back to hearing about um, a cousin who gave up on God or, uh, you know, a person in your church who left. And, and, and you probably genuinely were really worried for them. You genuinely were like, gosh, no, that's terrible. I want to. And you prayed for them and you thought about them. How much more so would you have felt if it was your dad, if it was your brother that walked away from God? You'd be, you would be obsessed. I remember when I was in a Bible school, I remember one of my close friends, his uncle decided he, he didn't um, identify as Christian anymore. And in my close friends, he got like five of his friends and we were like fasting every day and we were praying for his uncle. I mean, we were really worried about this guy. And so, you know, you've got to try and get back into that mindset and remember, this is what you're giving this loved one. You're telling them, hey, this person that you love, your son, your brother, your sister, whoever it might be, that person that you love so much has just told you that they don't want to spend eternity in heaven with you, that they think you're wrong and reject your truth, that they reject what you think life is all about. Above everything, it's about knowing God. They reject that. And now they're never going to see you again. Like they are going to eternally be distanced from you and they are going to suffer for eternity. That's a lot of stuff to take on, right? If you were told your kid is gonna to be 
punished and suffered and tortured for eternity, you would be fucked up, right? You would be really upset. You'd be really worried. You'd be really scared. You'd be do anything you could to change that. That's the stuff that's rolling around in the head of your loved one as you tell them. You might not be thinking of this. You might even be far enough removed that you can't really even get in the mindset of that. You're like, what was that even like again? You kind of almost look at it as a kind of funny season, like, oh yeah, that was kind of weird. I don't even know what I was thinking. But that is what you were thinking. Um, and so you have to try as best you can to get into that mind and go, gosh, that's a hard thing to process. I'm about to tell my, uh, my brother or my mother that their daughter, that their son, that their brother is going to spend eternity in hell. That's going to be some heavy shit for them to process, right? And so you've got to be um, aware of this dynamic as you're coming out to them. And that's why it might be quite helpful for you to do this bit by bit a little bit slower, a little bit, give them some time to come to terms with some of these, these points and some of your journey. And um, because the point is that you probably went on this journey, you probably didn't have an overnight change. You probably changed over weeks, months, even years. Some people continue to deconstruct and, and, and whittle away at different truths. And so for you, this was a very gradual process and it was hard, right? But you did it over a very long period of time, bit by bit, as you could cope. For them, they're getting that whole story, maybe five years story in one day. That's a lot. To process, especially as you aren't able to go on that journey yourself. It's just a lot to process. So I think have some compassion. Recognize that as you are grieving and you have lost uh, maybe the relationship with God you had, maybe some of the relationships you have with your friends, with your family, maybe you've lost some of your own identity and your who you are and your purpose. I mean, there's so many losses that you go through in deconstruction and you have to grieve those losses. Your loved ones are going to have to grieve the loss of you on some level. And that is going to be really hard for them. It's really, really tough for them to come to terms with that and process that. You're going to want to set, as you go into this, you're going to want to think strongly about what boundaries am I going to want to set with these people, with, with the family, friends, church members, you know, whoever it is. You're going to want to set some healthy boundaries and say, look, this is where I'm going to draw lines. I don't want you to be uh, laying hands on me and praying for me every time we hang out. I don't want you to be talking about theology around me. I don't want you to be asking me to come to church. You know, it might be, be different for everyone, of course. Um, but you're going to have to think about, you know, what in this relationship is going to be likely to happen? How do I then communicate that's not going to happen anymore? It's not going to be an option. And the thing with boundaries is you need to enforce them. If you don't enforce them, they're not a boundary, right? Um, it's like a sign saying, keep off the grass. It doesn't stop people getting on the grass. You're going to need to build a fence. Uh, right? And even then you might have to build a pretty good fence to think. Um, and then you're going to need consequences, right? Because some people will still climb over the fence and get on your grass, right? And so you need to lay out boundaries and consequences for going over those boundaries. And so it might be, hey, when I hang out, I still want to come around and spend Sunday lunch with the family and, and hang out and do all that. But one of the boundaries is I don't want you guys asking me about my spirituality, asking me about my faith. I don't want you praying for me. I don't want you asking me to come to church. If you do that, I'm probably not gonna be able to keep coming for Sunday. I'd really love to come for Sunday. I really value this relationship. You are the most important people in my life. You're my close family, I love you, but I cannot um, be around you if you are going to break those boundaries. And then you give your family those options. If they start breaking them, you go, okay, I'm really sorry you broke that boundary. Here's the thing about boundaries. Boundaries are often used as a form of punishment. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's really unhealthy boundary teaching. You're not doing this to punish them. You're used doing it to protect yourself and protect that relationship. And so when a boundary is broken and you put out a consequence, it's not to punish them. You say, hey, 
you're, you're keep asking me how my faith is doing and that's really not okay for me right now. So unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to come over anymore. When you are ready to have relationship without asking me how my faith is, I will be back immediately. So you put a gate in that fence and you say, here's the rules. At any point, you can open that gate and I'll come back over and hang out. But if you break that, I'm gonna go through the gate, I'm gonna close the gate and it's getting locked until you are ready to change to fit where I'm at and my boundaries, okay? So with boundaries teaching, it's really important that we don't punish, we set consequences, we hold people to the consequences, and then we create a gate. We create an opportunity for them to realize, oh, at any point I can come back and restore this relationship to that point if I respect that boundary, okay? So it's really important you figure out what boundaries are you gonna hold your family to? What boundaries are you gonna hold your, your friends at church to or, or whoever it is? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, there's a couple more things um, that I want to touch on. Uh, I think that's probably pretty good actually, to be honest with you. Um, just remember, as you go through this process, you know, keep saying to yourself, safety, certainty, security. Have it become a mantra. Before you think about going into these conversations, just be saying it to yourself constantly. Whenever you think of your family member, whenever you think of your mom, your grandma, your, your father, your brother, whenever you think of your pastor or your friends at, at church, be thinking they are looking for safety, certainty, and security, and they find it in an authority figure. How am I gonna help them feel more safe, secure, certain? So when you're playing those conversations in your head before you have them, which often is not very helpful, but maybe it will be, be thinking, ooh, if they say that, how do I help them feel a bit more safe? When I tell them this, gosh, how is that gonna, ask yourself when you think about what you're telling them, how is it gonna make them feel unsafe, uncertain, and insecure? What will that do? And then go, how can I say it slightly differently? What would be some words I could use? What are gonna be some language I could imply there? Or what could be something I add onto that to then help negate it and make them feel a bit safer again, to draw them back after they feel um, that challenge? Because here's the thing, they are gonna feel attacked. At the end of the day, they base everything off this way of life. If you can remember to be in a Christian, everything is filtered through this, right? Your, your work, your life, your relationships, sex, everything is filtered through the Bible and how these authority figures tell you the Bible should be interpreted. And that's the way you do life across the board. Everything is filtered through this. That's why when you start to lose that, you have an ex existential crisis because you are filtered through this. Just who you are and what you're about and your purpose on earth is filtered through this. And so when you start picking at this and taking it apart, you're pushing them into that existential crisis. You're telling them what they believe is wrong. It's really, really hard for them to deal with that, right? Because you're triggering these safety, certainty, and securities. You're questioning their authority figures. Remember this, when you say, I, uh, I need you to accept that I no longer believe in God, right? What you're putting on the table there is an impossible situation. Okay, because they filter everything through the belief in God, right? They, they, they believe the Bible is the word of God because the Bible says the Bible is the word of God. So the Bible is this absolute authority. They believe there is a God because they had an experience and thought it was God and therefore it must be God. You know, like this very circular reasoning in a lot of these things. And, and so what you're saying is, I want you to take those things out of the, out of the equation to, to accept me, because they have to do that and so on. When you're absolutist and fundamentalist, there is no, well, what's true for you might be true for you and what's true for me might be true for me. That, that doesn't work at all. It has to be black and white and I need to be true and I need to be right because I need to go to heaven. But what you're telling me now means that you're gonna go to hell. So now I have a question, I'm, I, I, now I have an option sitting in front of me, which is love my, per, my, my child, my friends, my family member and accept them and their journey or 
accept my truth, accept God, accept the Bible, accept what my pastor says, accept the way I've built my life for 50, 60 years, accept all the decisions I've made. For me to accept you in your journey causes me to have to question every decision I've ever made. It causes me to question my marriage, my friends, my family, my work choices, maybe my giving up the opportunity to work, maybe spending my entire life to dedicated to helping people become Christian. You know, people, what you're, what you're doing is you're putting people in these huge existential problems, right? They are going through this massive problem of going, well, I love my, my friends or my son unconditionally. I just absolutely love them. But I can't let go of me, of, of my entire way of being, of knowing God, of, of being certain of going to heaven. You're, you're saying I have to go to hell too on some level, right? These, this is all happening subconsciously. At no point are they really thinking this through at all. That's stuff that happens internally and, and really wrecks us. Um, it's not something that we can overly um, look at and evaluate. It takes taking a step out of that and being impartial to it and going, oh, this is probably some of the inner turmoils that are going on here. But my point being, this is really hard for your family member. I know it's hard for you. It's really hard for you and it sucks and it's totally shit. And I'm so sorry that you're deconstructing. I'm so happy you're deconstructing as well. And I'm sure you go through both of those emotions as well. I'm sure you have a lot of pain and suffering in your deconstruction, but you also have joy and excitement and, and a new lease of life and, and zeal for all that can be. So it, it's a whole range of emotions. But as hard as this is for you to talk to your family members, you're okay. When they talk to you, you aren't okay. And neither are they. Both parties go through a washing machine, right? They just take a beating, you know? They are freaking out because you're going to hell. They are freaking out because what does this mean for my faith and my beliefs and, and what, it, what it looks like? This is a huge deal. I cannot tell you this will go well. I cannot tell you it will go wrong, bad either. For a lot of people, family members surprise us. I've, I've, I've talked to thousands of people admittedly, but some of them have come back to me and said, hey, Phil, I talked to my parents and it turns out they were deconstructing, but were worried to tell me because they didn't want to ruin my faith, right? So that could happen. It's, it's not as common as you'd hope, um, but that could happen, right? You might talk to your friend from church and they go, dude, you too? I've been listening to, you know, this person online, Dirty Rotten Church Kids and holy crap. Yeah, totally. I, I get it. Um, that might happen. It really might. And if you talk to enough people, it almost certainly will happen because... You can't talk to too many people in church without coming across this. But for a lot of people, that's not going to happen. And, and it's going to be bad. It, it's going to be really hard. It's going to suck. The question is, how much will it suck? <laughs> how bad will it go? And, and what we're doing as we have these conversations is hopefully damage controlling. We're hopefully keeping that relationship um, uh, held gently. We're looking after that relationship so that in hopefully as they come to terms with this some of this stuff, as they can process some of this stuff, as they can realize that, gosh, no, I love this person so much and I, and I understand this is hard for them. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I love them and I want to keep them in my life. You know, this is what we're trying to facilitate happening. Honestly, nine times out of 10, the conversation is going to go pretty rough for everyone involved. It's like, like I've talked about in the last 40 minutes. It's not fun, right? It's not fun to realize all this stuff. It's not fun for you to be dragged back into this conventional Christian world and have to be faced with all the fears and doubts and, and, and accusations and everything else. Um, but it's also not fun for, for them. It's really hard for them to find out that someone they love has rejected God, has, has turned their back on their way of 
existing and seeing the world. And um, I, gosh, I, I don't know if I can even, I, I can kind of remember what that's like on some level, but I don't know if I can, like I'm so far removed from it now. That pain must be horrific, especially for someone so close, a, you know, a very close family member or best friend. That is absolutely devastating. And especially because a lot of our relationships are built around that world, right? A lot of our families, we don't even know how to communicate without bringing up God or Jesus. Some of our friendships, we've only known this person since, you know, being kids in Sunday school together. And all we know is to talk about God together and pray together and, you know, go out and evangelize together or whatever it is. Like, that is probably the end of a relationship. So you're in for a, a treat, right? You're in for a, a roller coaster ride. Um, I can't tell you it's going to go well. I hope it does. Um, I really do. I genuinely believe a lot of the things I've shared today will help you uh, ensure that it goes better than it would have if you don't apply some of these things. Um, but it's not a black and white formula. It's not as simple as that. You know your loved ones better than I do. Absolutely. Um, so you're going to want to think about what are their unique hangups? What is their personality? How can I, uh, ahead of time, think of helpful resources to, to mention to them? How can I think of helpful responses that aren't going to drag me into arguments? How can I think of specific things that will make them feel safer, more certain, and more secure? You're going to be okay. I, I really I really mean it. You know, I've, I've, I've walked through thousands of people, walked them through this process, and many of them have lost family and friends over this. Many, many of them. And you may lose some of those relationships. You may keep them to a very limited degree, but you may be on the other side looking for some new friends and looking for some new family. Um, that happens as well. And, and the, the beautiful thing is this is not a small community. There are millions upon millions of us. This is actually the fastest growing community in the West, spiritual community. There's more people deconstructing their faith than there are coming to Christianity in the West. In fact, before long, there'll be more people deconstructing their faith than there are in Christianity in the West. And so um, you are not alone. There are people all around you that have gone through this, that are going through this, that are in your corner that support you. Um, I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a free resource um, and it helps you find people that are going through this process in your local area. It can be really invaluable just having someone that gets it. You know, having friends from maybe outside of your Christian life, maybe in work or school or whatever, that are atheists or agnostic and they don't, that they're supportive and they love you and they accept you for who you are, but they don't really get the hard process you're going through. It can make a big difference having someone that gets it. Um, so do make sure you check out that resource and see if there's um, uh, anyone in your local area. My Patreon has a private um, community as well as you know, a hundred or so of us um, and we hang out and talk and support each other through these processes, help each other make these decisions and, and, and figure out how to have these conversations and also just chat day in day out and check in with each other and, and we talk about spirituality and atheism and all sorts of different things and explore those ideas as well. Um, so you might want to check that out if, if you would like, and I would appreciate that. I do everything for free, and so it's only by um, having Patreons that I, I can pay the bills and survive. Um, I always am here for you. If you don't find anyone in the Deconstruction Network, if you don't um, have anyone to talk to online, shoot me a DM. I would love to talk with you. I'm on Instagram. It's just Phil Drysdale. Anytime, night or day, shoot me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I reply to all messages. Um, and I really would love to help you on this journey, whatever that looks like. If you're going through this conversation with your family, if you don't know what to do, feel free to message me. I'd love to, to talk with you about this um, and, and help in any way I can. What you're doing is so brave. Honestly, it is one of the hardest things you can do. Um, this is 
so tremendously hard. And when they look at the griefs of deconstruction, the grief of the loss of oneself, the loss of one's purpose and, and drive, the loss of um, one's community, the loss of one's uh, God even maybe, or the loss of one's relationship with God and that changing and, and, and having to come to terms with that. Um, and the loss of one's friends and family. When they look at that across the boards, none of them win out over friends and family. Every time when people ask what was the hardest, it's this. It's talking with friends and family. It's losing friends and family. It's navigating a completely new relationship with these friends and family. And it's even trying to find new friends and family. And so this is hard. Give yourself time. Listen to your body. Don't push yourself more than you need to. Take breaks. Set up hard boundaries if you need to. If, if people become aggressive or hard to you, cut them off if you need to. That's not okay. Um, and you don't have to um, take people's abuse. You don't owe them an answer. You don't owe them. You, it doesn't, they don't need to be convinced that your journey is valid. That is not important, okay? This is not why we're doing this. We're doing this to be more open and authentic with the people we love. There's, there's something so painful about being around people we love and not being able to show them who we are. And for a lot of people, we do that. You know, maybe some people ask me, is it worth coming out to my grandparents? They're in their 80s and they're probably going to die in the next five years. Do I really want to break their hearts? And I'm like, maybe not. Maybe you talk to your family and say, hey, we're not going to tell grandma, grandpa. Um, and you just, you kind of nod and smile when you hang out with them. You know, you, you don't tell them. You maybe like say, yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, church is great. You know, like you, you just don't go there. That can happen as well. But generally speaking, for people that you're going to do life with for a long time, it's really hard to live hidden under a mask. I know mask is a problematic metaphor these days. Um, uh, but generally speaking, most of us going into those environments, friends, family, church, we have to put on some mask that pretends to be the perfect conventional Christian. And everyone accepts that and they love it. But the problem is when you get home or you get in the car at the church car park, you take that mask off and you, you become your authentic self that's doubting, that's questioning, that's not sure where they're at, or that's atheist or agnostic or become Buddhist. You take that mask off, the mask is glowing with love and acceptance, but you feel empty and hollow and not seen and not loved. That's hard. Um, and so I think for most people in time, it becomes quite important to take the mask off and, and just be open and say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is who I am now. This is, this is how I'm living life. This is how I'm processing things. This is how I'm seeing things. I'd really love if you came with me. Um, not saying you have to change your beliefs. I think it's something I maybe didn't mention there, but it's really important that to give them safety, certainty, and security. As you mentioned to your family members, I'm not telling you to change your beliefs. I don't want you to change your beliefs. I don't need you to change your beliefs. You might want them to change your beliefs. Maybe you see it as harmful and whatever, but trying to get them to change your beliefs is not going to change them. So don't just give them another safety signal and say, look, you don't need to change your beliefs. This is about me and my change of beliefs. I just want you to know that's where I'm at. I would love for you to still love me and accept me and be in relationship with me. But if that's too hard for you as well, I understand. We'll set up a boundary. There's a gate there. If you ever feel like you can accept me for where I'm at, please come through. I would love to have a relationship with you. Um, but yeah, you're doing an amazing job. You are doing really hard work and you should be really proud of yourself because this is one of the hardest things you can do. This is a full-blown existential crisis. It's losing so much of who you are, your relationships, your, your purpose, your identity, um, your, your, your 
you know, certainty and safety and security are up in the air. You're losing so much and you're so brave for facing that head on and, and, and moving forwards bit by bit. But listen to yourself, listen to your body, know when you need breaks, know, know to take those breaks and, and don't feel guilty for resting. It's important to rest. You're only gonna be able to do this if you take it at the right pace and only you know what the right pace is. All right, I'm done talking. We'll be back in another video at some point in this series, um, but I hope that helps you as you think about how you're gonna to talk to other people in your, your family, how you're going to um, approach this topic um, as, you, as you talk with friends, family, pastors, church members, whatever it is. Um, I really wish you all the best and I'd love to hear how, you, how it's going. I'd love to support you in any way. So again, shoot me a message on Instagram, check out the Deconstruction Network, consider becoming a patron and joining our, our online community as well. You can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, I'd love to see you in that group as well. It'd be really fun. But yeah, I'll catch you later. Love every one of you. I really hope you're doing well. I hope this goes well for you. Peace. All right. So that was how to talk to loved ones about our deconstruction. As I said at the beginning, there's no rush here. Please don't feel that because you now have a few tips and, and, and uh, tools under your belt, you know, that you immediately have to go and have this conversation. Of course you don't. You know, take this in your own pace, in your own time. Um, listen to your body. Listen to your anxiety, your trauma, whatever you've got going on, you know, there's no guarantee this is gonna go well. You can't wait until you think it's gonna go well because that day may never come. But you can wait until you feel that you have a peace within yourself, that you feel you're in a stable place, that you feel um, you know you have the tools and the, the ability to have this conversation without it devolving into a big argument, that you, can, you feel that maybe you can set boundaries and keep them. Um, things like that uh, are gonna help you in a huge uh, way. As I said, you might even not be able to wait for some of those things. You might really be thrown into the thick of it. Maybe you've got um, family members and uh, that you're living with and different things like that. Or maybe you live with a roommate that you're stuck in a year lease and they are extremely conventionally Christian um, and are really in your face all the time. Maybe you have to have the conversation ahead of time when you would rather not. Um, and that's okay too. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, we often can't control when this conversation happens. Maybe someone sees you like a, a meme of mine or something something and then they tell your pastor and they tell your family and then your friends know and everyone's grilling you and questioning you. I've had that happen many a time. And so, um, you know, you can't always control this, um, but you have more tip tools now. You, you have more um, under your tool belt. You know, you know what you're, you know what you're um, facing. You know where your, your family are at developmentally. You know where you're at maybe developmentally. You know some of your, um, some of the ways that you may uh, be inclined to go that might not be helpful. You know, some of the ways that you should go that might be more helpful. Um, you know, some of the trigger points for your family. You know, some of your trigger points. Um, you maybe want to uh, think about how you set boundaries and can you maintain those boundaries and, and keep them. Um, you know, so there's lots of things here that you have got from this, hopefully, um, that will prepare you to have this conversation in a better way. Uh, like I said, I can't guarantee the outcome. I, it might go incredibly. Who knows? Maybe you talk to your, your parents and tell them you're deconstructing and they go, oh my gosh, I was deconstructing too. Uh, I just didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to ruin your faith. You know, I've actually had so many conversations with people that have talked to someone and it turns out they were deconstructing as well. Um, uh, it's by far the, the minority of conversations. I don't want to get your hopes up, but it's happened. You know, So my point being, you don't know how this will go. Um, you also might have the best conversation in the best way possible, applying all the tips and tools and techniques you've picked up along the way, 
and it might go horribly wrong because your family member just is not in a place to be able to have that conversation. They're just not uh, healthy enough. You know, they're, they're not mature enough. They, they are not stable enough. Um, and so, you know, there really is no guarantee on the outcome, but you can do what you are able to do to, to make sure that that's the best outcome for you possible. And, and I think that's what I really want for you. I want you to have the best outcome that you could have. Um, I want you to feel that you are free to be yourself, that you are free to enjoy this process of deconstruction rather than um, constantly anxious and fearful about how people respond. Um, you know, there's a, there's, often people don't need to have this conversation as well. You, some people just choose not to have this conversation with people. Um, but many other people really feel the pressure to have this conversation. They, they feel they struggle to hide who they are from their friends and family to, to kind of be this, um, to put on a mask and only receive love as, as the fake Christian. Um, but when you get home and you take the fake Christian mask off, that's glowing with acceptance and you feel really hollow and empty. That can be a real pressure that pushes people to have this conversation. So, um, you know, you do you. You have the conversation if you need to. Don't have the conversation if you don't need to. You wait for the right circumstances if that's what you need, um, or you dive in if that's what you think is best for you. Uh, you know, I really believe that you are capable of making great choices that you know what's best for you. Um, if you ever need to talk to someone about this process, I'm always here. You can um, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Phil Drysdale. I'm happy to talk with you about this process. Maybe have you process a bit out loud, feel like you um you know just have a safe space to talk about this to figure out am i ready for this conversation am i not um you know whatever that looks like we can talk about anything um i, I really want you to know that, that that this is a safe space for you um you are welcome to have this conversation with me it's private it's confidential i've never shared anything from a dm with anyone i don't do that um and so you're you've got absolute confidence in uh you can have absolute confidence in me you know share whatever you need to share and so if, if that's something you feel is important as well please by all means shoot me a message and I'll, I'll get back to you when i can and um, we can talk that through all right um everyone next week we've got an exciting um episode i'm going to be doing a special episode where i'm sharing your stories um we're going to talk about why you deconstructed and so um, I have been asking on um, on social media for a while, but I'll, I'll ask again here on podcast. If you are listening to this before the 15th of April, Friday the 15th of April, that is your deadline, could you send me a voice recording? A minute to five minutes, definitely no more than five minutes, okay? Because I've got a lot to play. Um, but between a minute to five minutes um, of why you deconstructed. You can share a bit of your story and why that led to your deconstruction. I would love to hear from you. We're going to do a special episode next week where we share your stories of why you deconstructed. I'm really excited to hear um, from all of you the diverse uh, myriad of reasons that people deconstruct. And we'll, we'll look at some common themes and we'll look at some really unique um, components um, that, that come into play. Um, and I think it'll be really helpful. It'll be really um, lovely to hear your story through other people's stories as well. Um, I think it could be a really beautiful experience, but I would love to get more stories. And so if you have a story that you'd like to share, doesn't have to, you don't have to get buy a podcast mic and set up a studio or anything. Grab your phone, open up your voice memos and just hit record and chat with me. Ideally, don't do it in the middle of Walmart or in a busy street. You know, of course, try and um, make sure that it's, it's a relatively quiet room or something you're in, but it doesn't have to be anything special. Just a simple, quick voice recording on your phone and then send it in to me at phil 
at phildrysdale.com. That's phil at phildrysdale.com. Really easy to remember. If you don't remember, shoot me a message on Instagram and I can I can remind you and I can send you uh, uh, that email address so you get it just right. Um, but I would love to hear from you. It would make my day, uh, it honestly would. And I'd love to be able to share your story. You can say your name and where you're from. If you wanna keep it anonymous, you can make up a name or you can just leave that blank and just tell your story as it is. There's, there's no pressure for it to be any other way. If you're listening to this in the future and it's after April 15th, 2021, well, I'm sorry. You're 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 out of luck. The episode is is been and gone. You can actually just click onto the next episode and you'll you'll find it. Um, and so um, that's going to be next week. We're going to uh, look at that. It might actually be the week after. I'm not entirely sure because it depends on how long it takes me to put together all these different clips um, and how I put them together as well. I've never done one like this before, so um, I, I might end up realizing it's a way bigger job than I thought. Um, but I really want to hear from you and I'd love to share your stories. Um, reminder, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. If you're going through this process and you're lonely, it's a great way to meet other people that are deconstructing locally, in person, not just uh, online communities. Uh, talking of online communities, you can support what I'm doing and become a part of our online community by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, by doing that, you get access to our private discussion group. You get access to our voice calls and Zoom calls that we do together regularly. Um, and also, uh, you help me do this for free, which is honestly the greatest privilege I could ever have is, is being able to help people deconstruct and, and be able to offer that completely free to every person, regardless of where they're at and their circumstances. It's such a joy and such an honor. Um, and the only reason I can do that is because of the amazing people that, that sign up to become a Patreon and support what I'm doing. Um, and so thank you to everyone that does that. If you are not in a place to do that, feel no pressure. The last thing I ever want is anyone to feel pressure to do that. You can still chat to me for hours a day. You can still enjoy all my resources. Everything is free. Um, so please don't feel you have to do that by any means. All right, that's enough from me. Uh, on Thursday, we've got our next guest episode. Um, it should be with Laura Anderson who is from the Religious Trauma Institute, a colleague of Brian Pep, who we've had on the show before. Um, Laura is amazing. There, she's about to launch a, a very exciting uh, new endeavor um, that we'll be talking about on the podcast as well. Um, and so that that is linked to when the podcast will come out. If that gets pushed back at all, we might not be able to release it on Thursday. And so if it's not Laura on Thursday, you know why. It will be next week. She has said that it's definitely going to be done by next week. Um, but I'm hoping, uh, and so is she, that we can release this podcast on Thursday. And so um, hopefully I'll see you uh, in the next episode for our episode with Laura Anderson. All right, everyone. I hope you're well. I love you all. I'm always here to chat if you need to shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.